Because like when Adam was born, our parents didn't know what they were doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, they barely had it. They, they just had a couple of options. And then yeah, when very I was fine around, tuned early, early gameplay experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I was around, you know, they had a lot of big ideas now about what it means to be mm-hmm. a parent and all that stuff. And it was very complicated. Well, they're also right still tending to all these initial things they started with Adam. Yeah. Right? At least they, haven't, they haven't closed all of Adam's storylines, you know. And then, you know, then Sam shows up and they're like, oh, just do whatever you want. Like, do whatever you, you want. I mean, the, <laughs> here's the big point. You know, I don't know. Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 442 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam and I'm a little horse. Yeah, this is a show oh. where we talk about <laughs> life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's November 10th. 20 Jubilee. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. Good job getting that in also, there. I got it in. Uh, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, thanks so much for letting us grab your money so we can help keep the podcast going. Uh, man, we just got right through that intro. I'm so proud. I feel like this is going to be oh, I'm just a very... I, I, was, I was just like... <laughs> Chomping at the bit uh, as they say. Sam are, they're both just vibrating. Sam right was now. also chomping at the bit because apparently he's a little horse. Yeah. That's exactly is where that right. comes from, right? The bit is the thing. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Teeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's when you're excited. Yeah. When you yeah, said right, that, right. it just, every time I hear that, that phrase, chomping I just can't help bit. but think like, can't we have a different word? <laughs> can't we have a different word for my, my throat? My voice is I don't know. Raspy. I like occasionally being a little horse. Horse, you know. I think it's fun. A little horse today. Mm. You get, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I get really into carrots. Just I mean, it is. Town, you know, it it's is good. a different word. Like it's not the mammal horse. You know, it's sure. It's the mm. it's the horse. You got to really emphasize the a part. Yeah, when you say you gotta say ho horse. Ho horse. I'm feeling a no, little maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not yeah, emphasize it. Anyway, let's talk about some stuff. All mm-hmm. right. First off, uh, we've got a pretty cool thing happening in the studio this week, which is a intern. Well, not intern. A a small closed alpha test of Crashlands Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we keep accidentally calling it an internal alpha, but to us that means only people within the studio are playing it. So it's more of a closed alpha. Uh, so it, it uh, let's see. So we put a call out to the Discord, mm-hmm. right? And some other places. And we had an application and stuff. And we tried to get a diversity of people for uh, from like various backgrounds of what kinds of games they like and, you know, their experiences and stuff. And uh, the goal of this play test is to essentially have people play through all the stuff that is in the game at the moment. Uh, and get feedback on everything ranging from balance to bugs to polish to UI, uh, story. Are there, is there anything confusing? You know, just kind of the whole the whole shebang. The whole gamut of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is actually kind of like phase two of how we handle uh, alpha testing and, and beta testing for our games. What we have done before so far with Crashlands 2 is uh, these sort of one-on-one observational play tests, which is something that we like to do earlier. In dev, where it's basically we will kind of as as the game is evolving, we'll just kind of go out and and tag people, just grab someone. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's somebody who you know is more of a gamer and is more familiar with things, and that's a certain kind of test to see, like just to get some feedback on you know people with that perspective. But then sometimes we also grab people who just don't really play games, mm-hmm. and we watch them play it and kind of see. How intuitive is this game to somebody who's less familiar with the the you know all the symbolism and verbiage of 
of games. Yeah. Right? Well, and the idea uh, is that we've been we've been working on the game for a long time at at that point, right? And yeah, we we can't unknow all the yeah, things. Yeah, and so you know, need to right? you need to periodically just throw somebody into the deep end and be like, what what do I know that you don't that I just can't I can just can't tell that I know that you don't right? Mm-hmm. And see what they do. And so even though you're getting a very narrow playtest experience because it's just one person's right. And the stuff that they – that the way they experience the game is not necessarily going to be like anybody else, right? But in the early phase when there's a lot of just actual holes still because because of your own blindness towards what you already know, right? Then it's a really good way to cost-effectively discover stuff that's really hard to find otherwise because if you try to get it out of data from like a playtest or something. Oh, you can't. You just can't. You can't interpret that. It has well to be enough. observational. Yeah, yeah. you got to watch it. And, and the nice thing is, is you can just like literally watch one person. If you just like took one random person, a new person every month while you're working on your game and just watched them try to play it. Um, yeah. You'll end up with tons of really useful stuff of basically identifying your blind spots where you're just missing stuff. Yeah. But importantly, that's so that's something this is phase two for us because in that yeah. phase, essentially what you're largely testing is early First, what they can refer to as FTUE, a first time user experience. So when you're Fatui. onboarding, Fatui, when you're onboarding someone into the <laughs> game, are they able to actually enjoy themselves or get it? Is it too slow? Is the pacing weird? Are there just system holes? Whatever. Um, and we largely cro- we crossed that bridge a while ago, basically last year, actually around the same time. Um, since then, and this is the interesting thing about kind of how we think about alphas versus betas, et cetera, is that for us, it's not necessarily about, uh, it's not about like content completion, right? Uh, for those very early tests. That's they're like, we're very specifically testing, can we get someone onboarded into this game and get excited about it? This second one is, is essentially saying, okay, we have actually all of the systems in now that we had spec'd out. They're is enough content in all of them that someone can essentially experience them. And we believe that the path now beyond that first time user experience is such that it can support someone playing for some amount of time, but we don't know just how well it works in that longer, yeah. say like post two, three hours sessions, right? Yeah, and we um, also think that those like time. those holes of like our own blind spots, we think we've already filled by mm-hmm. these prior places and stuff. So that now the focus is just does this work? Because now we ha- now our intention is like fully represented by what the game has in it. Mm-hmm. So now we get to ask the question, does our intention match reality? And the only way to do that is with a diversity of players because that has to be representative of your actual target audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so one of the f- kind of fun things that happens in those, those early tests um, is, well, for starters, like we try not to ask people things when they're playing. Mm-hmm. We just watch because – you know, there's always going to be that, that Hawthorne effect where as you're observing somebody do something, they're just going to, they're going to play it differently and they're going to operate differently when they know that you're watching. Wait, um, what's the Hawthorne effect? That's exactly it, that, it's, that's just what it is. It's like, it's a psychological principle where like people behave differently when oh, they're being observed. Is it the psychological version of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle? It's essentially, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you have to, you have to take into account that, you know, what you're, what you're seeing isn't isn't truly real in terms of how that person would actually behave. And they're, also they're putting on a, a performance, you know, unintentionally, right? But to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. Depending yeah. On the yeah. Person. And also just the fact that it's framed as a test means that like I, like I have this problem where if somebody sends me like a, a draft of something that they've written and they're like, Hey, can you, 
you know, like read this and just give me some, give me some feedback. Right. And normally if I'm reading something that I believe is finished and if I come across something that's kind of confusing, I don't immediately think, oh, this is a problem. I might think, oh, maybe the author's going to explain this. Right. But if it's, if it's presented as a draft and that needs feedback, the moment I become confused about something, I'm like, "Mm, this sucks. (laughs) Uh, Clearly they didn't, they didn't explain this well enough to me in advance. Right. And so there's all these little psychological quirks about how people approach the the gameplay that changes because of the, the context. You have to try to take that into account. You can't fully adjust for it because it's kind of unpredictable yeah. how it expresses itself. Which is also like to be really have, careful interpreting you know, the outcomes of, of play yeah. tests. Um, and so there's some interesting stuff like um, if like in Crash Hands 2, there's quest dialogue and stuff like that. And one of the things that will happen if, if you're watching somebody – that if they if they believe themselves to be kind of a slower reader, or if they're like mm-hmm. a little bit self conscious about that, they will feel like they're wasting your time as the observer, and they will start to kind of rush through the the text, right? right? Or, or they won't spend much time reading tool tips or, or something because for some reason they feel like they would be making you bored. It's like you know? a streamer, right? It's like I don't want to spend yeah. time on that because yeah, it's not interesting so, to the audience. So like watching somebody play is useful in some ways and useless in other ways, right? And you have to kind of think about how that might happen. And then other times we'll have stuff like with one-on-one tests. One of my favorites is um, we we got feedback from somebody who had play tested the game who one of their big points of feedback was that the character m- runs too slow, okay? Mm-hmm. And we were like, that's a really interesting point of feedback because it's very specific and the character running too slow always means something in relation to something else, right? Because like your character can be moving twice as fast, but still be perceived as too slow if there are things that are like chasing you down and you can't escape them or something like that, right? So we kind of look further into it. Like, why does this person think that the character is moving too slow? And we discovered that is because we had done a poor job of teaching the player about weapons in the game. And she had ended up spending a long time never crafting a weapon. And therefore, uh, she was dying a lot to creatures because she had we had also accidentally Let just via some bad quest area. design. We had lured her to a dangerous area <laughs> with no weapon. And she was dying a lot and spent a lot of time running back to retrieve her stuff. And therefore, the the feedback was the character runs too slow. When really, there's a whole stack of things actually that led to that perception, right? And so, when you're doing those one-on-one things, uh, you'll oftentimes get suggestions, you know, framed as like the like the game needs this it seems balance simple, change, you know, which is which you know, if you did change that, it wouldn't actually have changed any of the experiences that this player had yeah. because there was some underlying other. Problem. So those are all the really interesting things that you can get when you dig into like a single person's experience. Um, and you can do that stuff to kind of like polish things out and find those those holes, right? So then once you kind of get past a lot of that stuff, then we're, you know, we get into this larger scale thing, which is more about um, generalities, yeah. right? Of like, are, are many people getting stuck on certain things or unable to progress or being confused by stuff, you or know, just or falling it, off at some point. Like, is, is, yeah, are they getting bored? Yeah, you know? are they getting bored. That's always the big one for me. And I think the the kicker is that, like, when we look at games on Steam, you know, the original uh, Crashlands is, of course, a really high average playtime, but because you have people who play it for like hundred hours or something, right? Yeah, they pull but up the, the median, average. Yeah, but the median playtime is well, by around six hours, I think, something like that, six or seven hours. 
which is considered which very is not, good. Yeah, it's not bad, right? But yeah, it's, it's considered very good. Yeah. But then if you look at something like a Stardew or whatever else, your median t- playtime bumps up to like 15 hours. Yeah. Right. And so the target for us is to be striking up into that sort of a range with players where where the basically the average experience goes much further at a baseline right before any kind of fall off happens and it's large i mean the whole design of the game has been the whole thing's just reconstructed to make it so that the whole adventure is just way more interesting the whole time as opposed to kind of fading off a little bit um yeah after a few hours so yeah which that's does mean it's okay. much harder to just much harder to develop because like making something much more interesting means a lot more choices and a lot more like parallel paths the player can take and a lot more mm-hmm. flexibility and and what the player can do. Of course, if you play a game through and there's only one way to do everything um, and that's it, then, then you don't really have a reason to play it again or it's to experiment easy to get bored further. It's easy to get you know? stuck. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like a cookie clicker kind of example, right? Like you're not going to be like, mm, I want to replay cookie clicker because I, I feel like I could do things differently. It's like, no, you, you can't do anything differently. Right, just right. clicking on a cookie. <laughs> uh, whereas something like Baldur's Gate, you know, which has just this infinite branching choices and stuff you know you could you could play that game for 400 hours mm-hmm. and still be coming up with stuff to do for the next 400 hours right um and so of course like there's always going to be a, a fall off mm-hmm. yeah right just, like can you move it because the game quality is high enough that's like that's to me what this test is about and so when we go from like pre-alpha testing and then it's usually this kind of first time user experience does even just the baseline mechanics this thing make sense can people operate it Moving into alpha then for us is essentially saying, does the whole game design do what we need it to do? Yeah. If we keep on doing this for the rest of the game, is that going to be good? And then beta is essentially saying, we did it now. We did it. Now we just want scale testing to find weird shit, do hardware tests, you know, put it on all the devices we intended to be on. Yeah. It's focused on where our intention didn't match reality, right? For some reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whether it's yeah, whether it's bugs or just things that that are insufficiently explained, you know that all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's interesting about this, you know, this is our first time also working with uh, kind of like more of a partner entity in the case of, of Netflix. And so, the reality is that every studios have different definitions of again pre-production, production, pre-alpha, yeah. alpha, whatever. It's important to remember then, that all of this is made up. It's all made up. It's, it's, yeah, there's no, there's no real up. standards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and if so there were, those would be made up too, you know? Yeah. yeah. So a lot of times people think about alpha as a, it's a, essentially the more of a time for bug testing than about necessarily like full scope systems play testing. And they would have rougher systems at this point than we do. It'll be the case that when the playtesters play the game, they're essentially playing what will be the entire first zone minus like a handful of things like content but it's it's polished it's it all exists you're not gonna yeah. Yeah. it won't it feel like be, you're playing an alpha you know yeah I mean? it should be basically the same experience that people have at launch with the yeah yeah exactly. so I, I myself played it for uh five hours over the weekend um to try to get a head start on catching any just last remaining things and i felt like i had barely scratched the surface of what is currently in the game even at that point uh and i had i, I came away with a lot of notes but they're game designer notes, yeah. not like not like they're I not didn't have fun broken. with yeah. X. Yeah, like it all worked uh, as we hoped it would, and it, I had a blast. Honestly, like because because like because we have multiple people making content for the game. I and this is actually like another reason why I wanted to play it is because I'm working on some. I've been kind of shifting more into content work on the game, but the game is so big now, and there's so many things in it that I myself haven't really. You would experience Seems? a number of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that that 
it's actually been harder and harder for me to work on quests and stuff because the story of the game is like branching enough that I just don't, I haven't quite seen all of it now. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I wanted to play through it just to see all that stuff and get a better sense of where we're at in the game and kind of what's, what's going on story-wise and stuff. But man, like it, it, it worked. Cool. Like, I had a really good time with it and I wanted to keep playing, but then also, also like the new, uh, the new wow season is coming. So I also had to do some prep for the new wow rate. You know, there's all, I got my my second job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Uh, But yeah, so I'm very excited to see, uh, see what the response is. I think what's always funny too, heading into these playtests is that because you're actually going to be, you're showing it to players for, you know, not necessarily the first time. Like you, we have shown it to other people before, but, um, but there's a, we're trying to get something out of it. Right. And so there's always a rush. It's like a game jam in a sense, where like There's always a rush to try to get those last couple of things, either design wise, especially for me, like the art holes got to get filled. Right. And those have largely yeah. been filled, but there's always a few questions like, Oh, can I, would I be able to get this? Yeah. Can I squeeze ex- in this last little? Yeah. Can I squeeze in the ex- this extension of this system or this extension of content, this line of content so that I can see if it will work? Cause like it, that's what the whole point of the test is. Just see if your thoughts about how to do X, Y, or Z are working. And so, you know, there's always that, that kind of last minute rush to get a few more things um, smashed through. And then we are doing it just, just on PC. So it's just on steam because that's the fastest, easiest thing for us to update, you know? Yeah. Really, well, that's really the other part too, right? Is, is, it's also really easy to think when you're gearing up for a test of some sort. Uh, you always feel like you want to squeeze every last drop of out of like of information you could get out of that test, right? So you're like, ooh, we can also like want to collect bug reports, want to collect see what people's hardware devices are, so we can get a sense of like minimum mm-hmm. hardware requirements, those kind of stuff. And this is something that that this time around we're just actively pushing against, and we're like, no, this test is very scoped. Its its purpose is to test design and the early, or I guess basically the main gameplay experience that most players would oh, experience, yeah. right? Yeah. That's its, that's its purpose. And we could say like, yeah, we could, we could also test that on mobile. We could also test it. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that we could do as part of that, but those distract from the question at hand. And honestly, if you're trying to, like, the thing to remember is everyone involved has finite time. You have a finite pool of yeah. players doing things at different scale gets you different results, right? So if you want to get a lot of like really intense feedback and like see what people are doing and see what people are saying and all that kind of stuff, you need a good size, but still very small group of people. Mm -hmm. And you need to not have them be distracted by like, oh, this doesn't work on my phone or, you know, or whatever, right? We, and we need to be able to deliver stuff really easily and quickly, right? So that we can adapt to changes over a literal weekend of a play test, right? It's going to be very Mm -hmm. short. Um, versus if we're wanting to test hardware and test, make sure that like all the inputs for different form factors feel good and all that kind of stuff, right? Then we need to hit a lot more people. We need to, we need to hit a lot more devices and see what happens. And so mm-hmm. there it doesn't, you don't really need that real time quick feedback of like everyone's talking and talking about the stuff, whatever. You can rely more on just data, edge case reports, that kind of stuff. But to do that, now you need hundreds of people. Um, or thousands of people even, right? Uh, and so you just got to figure out what what are your actual goals and just scope it tightly because these are tests are always really expensive to run. They yep. they completely disrupt all the rest of your work. and But they have a huge benefit if you do them well. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what I get, which is like, yeah. So again, because we've, we've tested the game multiple times now, so the question is like, why do you need to do it again? And we have and constant QA. Is, yeah, and we have constant QA. So we're actually always testing. So the question is like, why? Why bother? And the real answer is because 
we've only built the first essentially planned third of the game. So notably, the the remaining two thirds of the game are templated off of what currently exists, right? So it'd be very foolish to go ahead and like, I don't know, build the rest of it without checking, does that fucking work? And then you have this huge reworking problem later. Yeah. Or you it's do a bunch easier of work to address do. hardware and input problems and stuff. Those are small problems Later, compared to right. like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that's the main reason why is essentially we're really going to be kicking into high gear with building out the rest of the game finally after this test. And yeah. we want to make sure that we're building the right thing. Uh, yeah, there's, there's kind of a there's kind of a running joke uh, about games where like you ever see that that meme that's like the three segments of the drawing of a horse. Yeah, where like, yeah. like one chunk is like beautifully hand drawn, like perfect detail, and then the second one is like just missing a lot of shit, and then the final piece looks like a like a three year old drew it, you know. <laughs> uh, and like, there's kind of this running joke about like about the experience of playing through a single player game where the first portion of a game is always so so polished mm-hmm. and so bug free and so complete and well you know. balanced because it's also very easy to balance the beginning of a game and gets increasingly difficult as yep. the game goes on. Yeah, and then yeah, as you as you get further into the game, you know bugs start to crop up, weird edge case things start to happen. If it's a more open story, game, you have as a designer, you have less knowledge of where exactly the player is going to be. Yeah, the common yeah, the complexity of what the player could be up to just explodes. Yeah. Yeah, and you, so you kind of. I mean, people talked about this with um, with Baldur's Gate, where um, you know, in retrospect, with all the time that I've I've spent playing it, I kind of realized that like it it doesn't have a story. There's a concept called a story lemon uh, with narrative, which is that things start simply, things start at a single point, and then as they start to branch and become more complex, there's a lot more parallel paths that the player can be pursuing at any one time. So that's where like. If you imagine the shape of a lemon, like the options the player has or the things the player might be doing become very large halfway through the game. And then as you get toward the very end, you know, you have to wrap things up. So you need to start ending storylines and closing things off and whatever. And then the number of different experiences the player has kind of tapers back down to kind of a single point at the very end, right? So like, for example, in Baldur's Gate, you can do anything you want in that game, but ultimately you are going to fight the last boss. Mm-hmm. One way or another. And then, and then the game's over, mm-hmm. right? And so, mm-hmm. so like, it's not like you can just retire and open up a shop in town and just become a shopkeeper now. Like, that's not a thing that the game allows for at the end, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so what you kind of see is like the very beginning of a game, because it's easier to test, you get way more feedback on it than anything else. The number of things that can happen is, and the com- combinatorial complexity is lower. Mm-hmm. So that early game is very, very thoroughly polished. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ending, same thing. People will kind of like uh, set up scenarios to kind of like like it's develop. You'll, you'll up, use, you know? Yeah, you'll use dev tools to kind of like fast forward to these snapshots of like, all right, final boss fight has to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. The ending has to be has to feel good. All so lots of extra. There. Yep. Yeah, so lots of extra care and testing goes into that final bit. But then the stuff in the middle has a tendency to sort of get a little loosey goosey. Because, you know, so it's sort of the oldest middle, oldest child, middle child, youngest child kind of dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually true, but it was a good joke because that's yes, me, I'm the yeah, middle child. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so the highest so, combinatorial complexity. Is, I do. Yeah. I'm the fat <laughs> part of the lemon. Uh, <laughs> so, so, because uh, like when Adam was born, our parents didn't know what they were doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, they barely they had a, they, they just had a couple of options. 
And then yeah, very fine-tuned early, early gameplay experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I was around, you know, they had a lot of big ideas now about what it means to be mm-hmm. a parent and all that stuff, and it was very complicated. Well, they're also still time, tending to all these initial things they started with Adam. Yeah, they, just haven't, they haven't closed all of Adam's storylines, you know. And then, you know, then Sam shows up, and they're like, oh, just do whatever you want. They're like, do whatever you, know? you want. I mean, the, <laughs> here's the big point. You know, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, just don't, try not to, like, try fall to, like, off something, or something and yeah. die or whatever. Yeah. Uh, other than that, have fun. Go have fun, mm-hmm. little guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it gets, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It gets very loose in the middle, but I think it's also. But also, that's where most of the stuff is, right? Because uh, like, yeah, it is. This just definitionally, this is how it has to work. It has to yeah. work in this way, unless you just have a linear, completely linear experience, right? Where it's just one step over there, like like a game like Control, for example, or or Half Life, right? Where it's just mm-hmm. like there's a map, you walk through it linearly. It's it's a linear set of experiences, right? And that's the, and even then, it's still tricky because like how much ammo does the player have? halfway through the game right yeah. uh who the fuck knows there, there's just no way to guess so like <laughs> is is the game well balanced at that point when you go to fight some boss right which is also why you'll notice in every one of those games there's just fuckloads of ammo right before every boss fight because they're like we don't know because like, i don't know man yeah yeah i don't know yeah. how terrible your aim is it's yeah. been six hours i don't know how many bolts you got left in the chamber you know? yeah there's always these cues like that suddenly you find ammo or suddenly the game auto saves you know, yeah and you're, you're like, like oh, oh no <laughs> So something's about to happen. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we don't want to fall into that trap, you know, where like we have a complete first part of a game and then just kind of whatever. And so the reason we, we do it this way is because we, we want to make sure that we, what we are building the, the second and third act of the game around is an extremely strong foundation that won't require us to rework a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. because reworking stuff in the middle of the game Oh, no. Is much, much harder than reworking stuff at the beginning or the end, yeah. right? And Which so is also where you get, we, there's kind of a bike shedding component to that too, right? Where you find yourself attracted to fixing the easy stuff in the first part of the game or the yep. easy stuff at the end because you don't have to think nearly as hard. It's really, it's much more obvious like, oh yeah, this is a problem because I know what the player experience is going to be at this point. It's pretty unambiguous. But as you get into the middle of it, it's so fuzzy. The cognitive load of like trying to think through what kinds of player experiences could be happening, trying to understand the full context of the game and what you could be leveraging and using and stuff. It just becomes so hard that not only is it just harder, like a lot harder, but also you don't want to do it. You know, like yeah. the, the beginning because and end of the lemons are, are attractors that kind of pull your focus to the, towards mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. And honestly, there's also this kind of a, for me as a player, there's kind of this weird psychological effect, which I don't know if you guys have this, but like I've noticed this when I've been playing like Baldur's Gate or even like RimWorld, Kerbal Space Program, whatever. It is an absolute blast to play the beginnings of those games yeah. because you have all these ideas. Yep. You're like, mm, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do and, and you know, and like as you, as you progress, like- But there's not very much like, you can do actually, right? It's like, it's still very, your choice yeah, There's not much you can do. Narrow. Yeah, the beginning is still pretty similar each time, right? But you, you start to kind of like drift what you're doing towards some goal to try to like do things a little differently than you did before and kind of see what happens. But then like as you progress further down that new path, the game just inherently becomes less interesting because you are now checking those things off, right? Mm-hmm. And you're kind of answering the question of like, wow, what would it be like if X? What would it be like yeah, if Y? Like, oh, and, it's like this. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> then, and then like by the time you get halfway through the game, you kind of think like, all right, well, you know, I, I, I kind of have a pretty good idea. <laughs> well, I think what's interesting so, is like, questions doesn't like to clarify on the, the language reason because questions doesn't branch on the story, right? It doesn't, as in you don't choose one path versus another and then sort of shut that off. Um, we have a little bit of that in some scenarios. But yeah, currently we've, part, we've yeah, only experimented with fire. it in like kind of dumb places where it won't matter, but it's fun, right? 
Um, but it isn't but we don't parallel. It. Yeah, it's parallel. So I would so still describe it as branching, uh, but just not. It's in a way where all of the all of the branches are accessible, are available, right? and you can yeah. move backwards and forwards through the. Yeah. It, yeah, if you think of it, it's a veiny lemon. You know, it's a veiny lemon. It's a veiny. I'm not going to think. You're just going to have to accept this. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want and that. And where the blood can move back and forth. You know? Oh, no. God. That's, that's kind of what we're dealing with. Arteries and veins, I guess. That. Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. what, what was interesting about that then is that it's that the route you take can be very different on any given playthrough. But like my style is actually has changed very – so when I was younger, I used to have alt fever, as they called it, when playing a game like WoW or whatever else, which is exactly this, which I'd start a game – be pumped, play it for like, I don't know, 10 hours, 20 hours, be like, all right, I get where this is going. Start a new character, you know, in a slightly different place, et cetera, and just read yeah, it. Never, never finish the game. Never, never finish even game. like, never even get halfway well, through it. I think it's really. also, it's, <laughs> it's that, because I think I, I have the same thing, but for me, it's it's manifesting like, because the beginning of the game is all about you discovering the game, like how the game works and what's going on and what you can do and all this kind of stuff, right? And then at some point, the game switches to being a skill thing where it's like, now you take it all, it's a mastery, right? Yeah, exactly. You're not yeah. in the exploit phase. And to me, the exploit phase is like, now it's about you being good at stuff, which I like am inherently kind of disinterested in in video games for whatever reason, where it's like, I, I like exploring you the world and discovering stuff. Like that's the part solving. that I like. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And as soon as, and like, this is a, like, I just experienced this in basically all games. Like that's, I think that's, that's the part where I start to just get bored and I'm like, yeah. I would rather, I want to go, I, I want to go experience it for the first time again. I want to go back to when I didn't know anything and have that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very, that's a very rewarding period. When yeah. you're playing, right? Where like you just don't know shit and everything you see, you're just like, what is that? Right? <laughs> it's so fun. Uh yeah. So so hopefully, you know, through through this week's um small closed play test, we'll get some good feedback on on what we can cinch up and and uh, ultimately, you know, our goal with Crash Lens 2 is to make a remarkable game, mm-hmm. which means something that people can talk about with each other. Yeah. They can, have, they can have different Steve, experiences yeah. and different ideas and they can share things and be like, what? That's crazy. I didn't even know about that. Like yep. that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that we want. And so so we will we won't be watching people play in this uh in this test. Instead, we'll just be listening, right? Because yeah, we, have a, talk we have about a, it, yeah. Yeah, because we have a private Discord channel for them and we will just be lurking and reading what they're saying. Uh, yep. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah. It's and if be, if you if you as a listener missed out on the application because you weren't hanging out in the discord uh just there, there'll be other like we said we're gonna be doing future tests that are focused on other stuff right so there'll be other opportunities but the best way to know about those is going to be through discord because that's where we can do real-time stuff it's just it's too hard to plan around the podcast schedule like mm-hmm. uh are we definitely doing because we also never know for sure like are we definitely doing it next week because something else could happen you know kind of a deal uh so so get over to our Discord for future playtests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Now we got one more thing to talk about, and then if time, we'll get to a question. Oh, what you got? All right. So we need to talk about blue-eyed samurai oh, via yeah. via our segment, our mini segment. Nailed it or whiffed it? Mm-hmm. So Adam, hit me yeah. up. So Sam, I think Sam, you said you finished it, right? I did. Okay. So my my wife and I just started it last night. We watched the first three episodes. I want to no. Two, I think we finished two episodes. I think they're like an each hour. Each episode long. is like an hour. Yeah. yeah it's like a they're significant. Yeah. And when we started the second one, we were like, should we start or should we go to bed? Because it was like that time, and it's an hour. You know. And we were like, mm, we gotta. We just gotta watch it. it you know? so, <laughs> which tells you something, right? Um, but yeah, Sam might have more things to say. And all I really have to say is is super fascinating art style like for their animation style it's like this like 3d kind of vibe right mm-hmm. so it's just kind of cool already um but the writing is 
fucking stellar because the one-liners, the one-liners mm-hmm. in this movie from the villains and the heroes alike are just so fucking good. They just like, <laughs> they just cut, like the, it's a samurai thing, right? So people are cutting each other up anyway, but they also, their words are just cutting people off of the knees Ooh, and yeah. it's just so satisfying. Uh, and, and even when they're, even like, because of its historical context of this thing where it's like, it's basically about like xenophobia and racism and patriarchy and all it's like it's got all these like pretty all the themes pretty dark themes in there right and so so even the relative good guys still like are have various like intense biases right and so even the even the moments that are supposed to be are meant to be like kind of nice in some way you know if you just think about it for more than a second you're like ooh, wow that was also actually Mm -hmm. a, a horrible zinger right uh it's just really well done really fascinating if you're, I think if you're a fan of uh, like Arcane, you know, with League of Legends, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's sort of reminiscent of that style. It's a little less, I don't even know what, it's a little less maybe painterly or something on the on the character Yeah, it design. looks less like a painting and more just like a straight up kind of realistic like, cartoon. You know? Yeah, it's almost like It's like Clone Wars. I think it makes me think of Clone Wars, like from mm-hmm. a yeah. overall yeah. style. Okay. But it is extremely violent, yeah, extremely true. dark, yep. extremely yep. gory. There's lots of nudity and... Sex stuff in it, so it's like it is. A, it's an adult cartoon, it's an adult, cartoon. Cartoon. Or adult animated show. Yeah, yeah, but it it has some of just the. I mean, so the fights are just so fun and mm-hmm. just unreal. And they just get more and more unhinged as the show goes on. So yeah, uh, there's also one episode, Smack in the Middle, that is essentially takes place kind of like in a theater or like in a. It's essentially a theater play done in that kind of like uh, puppeteering style that would have been actually present in that. Time is like kind of like early ages, uh, like I guess 1700s Japan, I think, so I guess. or 1800s, I think, um, but yeah, something. 1800s. Yeah. Um, it's done in like sort of referencing that style, and it's just a but then a sort of in parallel with a story about the character. Mm-hmm. And it's they one do of a lot most, of good parallel stories, yeah, but it's one of the most like art. It's just like it's a good piece of art. Like I was watching it, and I was like, this is really fucking good. What's, just, what's this on? It's on it's Netflix, on ne- Netflix. Yeah. On Netflix? Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think they nailed it. They really nailed it. Yeah. Uh, would highly recommend as long as you're cool with, you know. Put very, the kids to bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah lots of. And, and it's very dark themes, you know. Um, yeah, it's, so I mean, it's, it's like you your Games of Thrones. Like if you're into Game of Thrones and you're okay with yeah. like that level of violence and sex stuff, like that's that's actually kind of where it sits, you know, yeah. in terms of and like, human horribleness. Yeah. yeah, it's all that stuff. So yeah. make sure you know what you're going into, but uh, nailed it. Yeah. Blue-eyed samurai. Nailed it. All right, let's get on to a question. Uh, this question comes from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net, um, where people can ask questions and vote for each other's questions. The highest uploaded question for today comes from Bricks Parts. Bricks Parts. Says, which, which might be the name of like a like an auto shop, maybe, mm, yeah, so something like, like that. Mm-hmm. Brick is a I good name if you're running an auto shop. Yeah, if your is. name is Brick and you're not like some kind of, you know, handyman mm-hmm. kind of job, what are you even doing? Yep. You know? Made a mistake there. Uh, Briggs Farts says, I'm a solo dev implementing forgiveness mechanics, but running into design challenges from situations where player intention can be ambiguous. Mm-hmm. I assume that in the process of implementing and iterating upon these systems in Levelhead, you came across similar types of issues. And I'm curious if you have any advice or tips on how I should go about developing and refining forgiveness mechanics mm-hmm. in my game. So What's a forgiveness it? mechanic? Yeah. yeah. Forgiveness mechanic is basically a way where the design of the game allows you to it fudges 
reality as far as what your skill level is so that you have better time. So in the case of like level head or platformer, people frequently hit the jump button before they've actually hit the ground as a good example. So if you implement something like a, a little buffer such that we, you can't, you capture that fact that they tried to jump a little bit before they actually can, and then you just make them jump when they hit the ground. Nobody yeah. needs to know. Yeah, okay, it's like, it's a, like a white lie system. Okay. For yeah. In the case of a precision platformer, it's, it's pretty easy to think of all these kinds of cases, right? Not easy to address yes. them, right? But it's pretty straightforward because the whole idea is like, it's, it's a reaction time problem, right? Which is the player's intended action versus their ability to just compute information coming in, right? And all of that fast enough, given how fast things are happening on screen, there's a disconnect there and you're trying to make it so that, and you're trying to recognize that the, the fact of what is correct, like what the correct thing for the player to do, actually has to take into account the human physiology of the player mm -hmm. and, and the psychology of the player. There's no such thing as correct in a vacuum as in like if a player, the moment they touch the ground, that's when they get to jump, right? Mm -hmm. Like the game doesn't define that as, like you can say that's correct because that's how it works in the games. Right? Technically correct, but it might not feel good. So is it? It feels right? like shit. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> yeah, that's because it's not yeah. really correct, you know, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so the question sounds like it's, it's about the fact that as you start implementing these forgiveness mechanics, there becomes the you're you're going from you're essentially going from programmer land where shit's cut and dry. Your feet in the ground, good. You can jump now to design land, which is what feels good. Does it feel good? Yeah. Which means you're going from concrete to fuzzy. Yeah. And, and in, the, in the particular case of the question, they're asking because then the fuzzy when you're in that fuzzy range, you're basically saying you're trying much? to predict what the player intends to do and then help them do that, right? Yes. But what if there's ambiguity there? We're now in some part of that fuzzy things. space that could be doing more, yeah, more than one thing. Then what? Yeah. So how do you handle that? Seth, who has had to deal with this. In yeah. So so there's a, a few ways. I think um, one is to not implement forgiveness mechanics in a way that is universally applied yeah. in all scenarios. Hmm. It's always so going to be context dependent. Yeah. So for example, um, if the player is is jumping upward and there's like a solid uh, sort of like corner above their head, right? And they're close enough to it that technically they could, you could kind of like implement a forgiveness mechanic that would allow them to kind of like scoot past it as opposed to just banging their mm. head on it, right? Which is one of the things that I showed in the video for the GDC talk uh, that I gave, where we basically shrink the, the hitbox of the thing vertically uh, when you're jumping upward, right? Um, but... What if that thing above their head is a block that contains an item and they're what supposed they to hit? I want yeah, it. They're supposed to hit their head on it to get stuff out, right? So that's just one of those scenarios where you can add extra layers in where it's like, well, if hitting their head on this thing would actually be good for the mm -hmm. player, let then we it. can we can just count that and let them hit it. But as soon as they've broken that block open and it's no longer useful, we should assume they don't want to bang their head against it and let them scoot past, right? So it sounds like the disambiguation so. approach is to say, what is the what is the best kind of outcome given this nebulous context I'm in, right? And yeah. then give the player that outcome, right? And yeah. And the other part of the, of the whole thing is consistency, right? Because if there's if there's this kind of nebulous aspect, right? You identify what it is and like, why is it nebulous? What is, and, and if it is, like there must be something different about this context and some other context where it isn't. Well, so I think a, a really good one is, is talking about a case where what you are actually having a player do is two of the same thing. So it's not clear which one to choose. I think a good example of this is, let's say you uh, as a player are, are, are you leapt, like platforms are so useful for this thinking, but like you leap and uh, let's say the player can do a wall jump. Okay. Yeah. And as you're coming down, you're basically landing right in the corner. Okay. So imagine a nice par parabolic arc down to the corner of an area. So 
technically, as you hit that button, you could do a wall jump or we could buffer it and you could jump off the floor. Off the ground. Yeah. How do we pick in that case? Which one? Well, I think there's, there's an even further question there, which is should the player even attach to the wall in the first place? Right. Because like, so, so like for example, in level head, uh, you, we have a power up you can get that lets you sort of stick to a wall and you kind of slide down it and then you can wall jump off of it. Uh, so, so there are scenarios you can, where you can, for example, look at the player's inputs when trying to make that decision and see like what combination of buttons are there, are they holding? And mm. is that consistent with something that I would expect them to, to want to do? Right. So like if somebody is, is, uh, pushing the joystick in the direction of the wall, then that tells you that like they're intending to stick to it because actually pushing the joystick in that direction may not actually affect their speed or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a, a thing that people do. And also people will pick up on that consistency, yeah. right? And then they will, they'll react to it. Yeah, because if you provide so things that allow the player to disambiguate themselves, like players will also learn that over time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so then other stuff like if the player's about to stick to a wall, right? But then it turns out that like, you know, they're only like a few pixels off the ground. And so it would be this weird animation where like they would stick to the wall and then very like slower than normal slide down just a few pixels and then stop, you know, uh, you can still just let that happen, but it may make things confusing for the player in the sense that they may think that they were going to do a regular jump, but now they've done a wall jump because they hit the wall first, but mm. just barely, you know? And so- And these are the kinds uh, of things that like, you play literally, I was just playing the most recent Mario game, Mario Wonder, mm-hmm. I want to say. Um, and even like, this is now, Mario, like they've been making these games as platformers for what, 40 years or some? Mm. Yep. Some wild thing. And even still, like I got, I got the double, I got the wall jump power up and- who boy, it took me some a lot of effort to disambiguate my own inputs to get what I wanted mm-hmm. out, of, out of that. Yeah, yeah. it takes it, – it's not simple, you no, know, because it is, it, is about, it is about psychology and what, what feels good. And, and then it's about consistency really, so the player could learn. Yeah, yeah. And so what you got to do is like as you're playing it, as you're, as you're watching people play, um, anytime you fail at something – in the game where, you know, you, you lose, you die, you don't beat the level or whatever. If it feels like you should have based on what you, yeah, based on what you pressed or what you were like trying to do, um, that's, that's where the the problem is. If you, yeah, if you focus on trying to understand the player's intent versus outcome and their sense that there was an unfair disconnect there, uh, then that's, that's what can reveal to you where the ambiguity is, uh, Mm -hmm. is a problem and where you need to figure out, and again, it's all about how do you – is understanding like what is the full context of this ambiguous situation? And as Seth said, never treating any two situations – don't assume they're actually the same, right? Still mm-hmm. dig yeah. in and figure out is this actually the same as this other thing? And if so, why was it fine here and not fine here? Therefore, it must not actually be the same. Let me go find the mm-hmm. – let me go find the context that makes this a problem and then figure out how do I disambiguate it in the player's favor. Basically trying to, yep. trying to align or what their likely either, intent yes. is with the outcome, right? It sounds like either disambiguate in their favor or provide a consistent, essentially, Way control mechanism to, right. that they can they can self disambiguate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and ultimately, like, ultimately, the goal of a forgiveness mechanic is it's a blame optimizer, which yeah. is which is when the player fails at the game, they should feel well, like where do, it was their fault. Where does their blame? Yeah, where does the blame go? If they feel like the game was responsible for them unfairly losing. They will they will stop playing. That's not fun, right? It's not fun when things feel unfair, and even when things even when things actually are fair. Again, because the, the truth like, the is players, not fair, the goal, yeah, right? fair, but also fair is a that's again a made up concept. There's no there's yeah, no the truth human there. the human definition of fair is 
completely unrelated to the human experience of fairness. The human experience of fairness is, was this rigged in my favor? If yes, it's fair. That's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's what things that feel, that feel fair are like, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> things that are actually fair, like in the case of a platformer, would be if you press the jump button and you were not standing exactly on the ground, you should not be able to jump. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's, that's concrete. It's according to the rules, right? But if you hit the button before your feet hit the ground and we save that fact and let you jump when your feet finally do touch the ground, we have rigged the game in your favor. You did not actually do a good job of pushing that jump button on the right time, but we're going to just let it slide. <laughs> so, because yeah, it feels the question fair, is, right? Is, yeah, is the is the point of the game to like ensure that you can only jump when your feet are touching the ground, right? Exactly. That's yeah. a that's a dumb thing to try to ensure, right? Exactly. Why would shit. you do that? Yeah, it yeah. should just it should feel good to be jumping because is actually the thing I'm optimizing for, and this is why the idea of like fairness. There's no there's no sense of like what is supposed to happen in the game, or whatever, right? You actually just need to be fully responsive to the reality of what it means to play a game as a person with mm-hmm. an emotional response to what's happening and with delays in human computation and reaction mm-hmm. time and moving of a muscle, right? Because in the end, you're you're building a thing that causes a person to puppet their muscles and do things with their brains, right? And all of those things take time. And they take significant amounts of time. And if you don't accommodate for those at all, then you're just, you're trying to simulate a reality that doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, you're building a simulation yep. instead of a, But it's not, you're not even building a simulation because you're building a simulation of, it's like you're trying to build a simulation where the character in the game is the character, not the player who's puppeting the character, right? Because the problem is that that in a game, there's a player puppeting a character and therefore there's an extra delay in processing and and moving things, right? And you have to account for that. Well, I will say we also, I mean, we do this in, you know, in Crashlands 2 as an example, which is that there's the, the combat system in Crashlands 2. You can, you can juke out of danger, whatever else. And the Enemies always put down telegraphs for where their stuff is about to hit, right? So if I'm launching, a, someone's, say, vomiting a bomb at you, as they do, as one does, you know, Of course. Then How you're going to see you're gonna get somebody with a bomb. Exactly. Yep. Then you're going to see a big red circle that you got to stay out of. But it's not it's not true in the sense that, like, you can actually, you could be what looks like kind of in there. Yeah, well, because what does it mean for you to be in there, right? Yeah. That's a made-up yeah. idea. It's like, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything specifically. And so, right? importantly, we have to put, we... We make it so that, well, it's the case that the player has like their own hitbox. And when the player is trying to hit stuff with their telegraphs, uh, we use basically what is the most generous interpretation of yeah. the enemy. Your hitbox yeah. is very small and the enemy's hitbox is quite inflated. Yes. <laughs> and again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's all rigged so you can feel like you're doing a good job, you know, because it's, the point is to deliver a good time, not a truth. Yeah. And like, there's a, there's a, something like this that it, like I understand it, but it just drives me so insane mm-hmm. is in Baldur's Gate, you're in turn-based. You probably experience the same. Mm-hmm. Your characters have a certain amount of movement per turn. Some of your characters are melee characters, right? And they have to be very close to an enemy. And there are times where you will use up your movement on a turn and you will be like- Perceptibly. One, yes. You're, you, it looks like you should be able to hit this fucking you'll person. See the, you'll yeah. see the circle around their feet that shows the range mm-hmm. that you have to get into for melee and your character will have one foot in that circle. Yep. Right. But like the center of their hitbox is like a millimeter out of the circle and you cannot, you cannot yep. hit them. No, you, and you'll have like, yeah. you'll have like a sword that's like four feet long. 
and your character is like an arm's length yeah. from them. But that's also right. why but I want to. I want to like. That's why I want to really like push that idea of like. It's not that the game is being technically correct here, right? Because the center of the sprite or whatever, like the single pixel, it's not true that that's what defines where you are in space, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not true. It can't be true. But it's also not true that like your foot going over a line like means that you're in that space or whatever, right? That's not mm-hmm. true either. Those things aren't. There are things that can be inherently true or false, right? And that's why the focus has to be on how does the design meet player expectation? Mm -hmm. Because a player, as you're saying, is like, like Seth, you never would have in a million years even noticed this if when your foot was over the line, it behaved. Then you never would have thought about it, right? Yeah, because it felt like I was close enough. Yeah, but now it's a thing that's in your brain is this is this like this thing that you remember now is this like unfair aspect that's that's frustrating and annoying. Here's the funny part too, right? right? which is that there's going to be circumstances then when someone else, because of this ambiguity that is not in the player's favor in this exact scenario, when an enemy comes up to you and you have the same kind of problem where they they basically, they look like they shouldn't be able to hit you, but they can, right? Yeah. For other reasons. Because like, the difference is so tiny yeah. that you can't distinguish it visually. So yeah. it's one of those things where like, what they, what they should do is use essentially... But use like a tiny hitbox for the players and then use a fatter hitbox that always includes, always includes the body parts of the, like the creature or whatever else. Right. Um, but not, not by much, even just like 5%, yeah. you know, but then on top of that, you can do a thing where like, where as the player, you know, your characters, um, if you want to initiate a melee attack and you are just barely outside that circle, you could do a thing where like during the attack animation, you could move the character very slightly closer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you, like just nobody would ever, the baby yeah, nobody would ever notice, right? Like just because it would be part of the attack animation, nobody would notice that their character moved three millimeters, right? Mm-hmm. But like it lets you close the gap, it actually gets you in melee range for the start of your next. It lets turn, you so pretend like the shit. strict rules are strict rules. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, there, there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, and like, honestly, it's such like to me like that's such a small gripe because also at the same time, I recognize like I have a certain amount of movement. I didn't get close enough. Yeah. That's that's what that's how oh, it works. The flame is perfect, but it doesn't feel good. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't you know feel I mean? it like, doesn't feel as yeah, good. Yeah. 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 And then it's even worse because like your ranged attacks will have disadvantage if you're too close to yep. a target. And so you'll you're at that point where like you're you're not you're not close enough to hit them with your melee weapon, but you're still too close. And now you're you just you you're doing it's, shit. It's right? dumb. Like, <laughs> the thing. It's like it's one of those places yeah. where the, the punishment for attempting to do the thing, and also because you can't tell if you're actually gonna get close enough. Right, unless you yeah, that's the other part. Right? Like when you move, you can if you're going to attack someone, you can tell that it's going to attack, right? But if yeah, you're just but sometimes moving. sometimes when you do that, it actually chooses a strange path that can't get mm-hmm. there, right? So so like if you've been playing the game for a while, you get into the habit of moving your characters yourself, like position them yourself so that they take the best path and mm-hmm. then tell them to attack. But then even then, like they're just they're slightly a lot of times. <laughs> yeah and if the consequence is oh you can't do you can't use a bow because you're too close you can't hit them because you're too far go fuck yourourself that's yeah, not I was like that's, my, that's the third button <laughs> yeah. go fuck yourself yeah. okay. oh, I guess I'll fuck myself <laughs> Great. okay fine yeah. Yeah, it's not good. But yeah, but yeah, it's, like, it's, it's all about that that sense, correct? Because if you if you landed so that your toe was right, like the character's physical foot was like right next you to a visible circle, and you can see yeah. that it's outside the circle, but just there, you would think, oh fuck, I just missed that. Like I just 
I just missed that, right? But if your toe is right over, then that's oh, not. You better what let you think. me hit that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I'm not what there. you think. That's not how. That's just not how that works. Yeah. And track and field. If my foot goes over the line, is that uh, that still doesn't count, right? It's got to be like the center of your mass, right? I, don't, I think still. it is. I think it isn't a foot or something. Because when they do those, like the the photos. Well, it's probably why they have the ribbon, right? Because like your torso has to go through, right? I don't think. Which, like, I think it's as soon as any part of your body crosses the line. Yeah, I think it is. That's why I think I think it works. It's a forgiveness mechanic because otherwise, I mean, that doesn't feel good. If you if you finish the race and you are actually you actually cross the line ahead of someone by your pinky toe, but their chest hit their chest they got a big beer gut. Faster. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, what? I did belly cross. <laughs> I did it. Yeah, let me have it, man. Yeah. So that's just what it's all about. I mean, it's there is no good answer. There's no solid, concrete answer to forgiveness mechanics globally. It's all about the specifics of how does it feel mm-hmm. when you're doing that, and and can you come up with a way to solve that problem in a way that feels good in a consistent way that the player can learn how that how that works, and they can predict what's going to happen. Yeah, and, and I know a lot of like the, the a lot of game designers kind of fight against this idea because they have the wrong sense of what the truth is as in like your feet on there if your feet are on the ground you can't jump that's the truth right so that's one part of it right uh, but the other part is like the sense of like what it means for a game to be difficult and all this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. and and especially when they when you because once you start adding these forgiveness mechanics those just become the new boundary right that players will use but your for your for your normal for your average player just playing your game um they learn that in the fuzzy way right where mm-hmm. Where that just gives them a sense of like, oh, they did a good job, and they're and they don't blame you, and that's kind of it. And you get into though to like to the hardcore speedrunner community, like this kind of things, right? Where they're now just they're now they just moved the position of where the truth is to match where you moved it, right? Uh, but they know they did that, right? Mm-hmm. They're very they're exploiting they it, basically. They're exploiting yeah. it, right? And and you as a developer can see that as bad, and and, and you see that a lot, like the way that developers talk about this kind of stuff, right? Um, or if you're trying to argue against this kind of stuff, because you're like, well, then players will just do it there instead. And I've slippery back slope, again, slippery slope. But that's actually not the reality of the player experience. It's not a slippery slope, right? Most players will then have a much better experience. And then some players will now, quote unquote, exploit right those mechanics that you put in, except that what is the outcome of them exploiting it? They get to have a good time. Is that they get to have a good time. time. Yeah. And, they know, and they know that they're doing that, right? And everybody else can do that too. So even if it's in a multiplayer context or, you know, a competitive context, the rules are actually still the same for everybody, which is the most important thing for fairness, right? Is that they are actually the same. Yeah. And once you learn about those weird tricks, you can do them too. Yeah. yeah. And if you, don't, if you don't want to have to be so good at stuff that you can do pixel perfect, you know, machinations like I don't, you don't have to. It's fine. You just don't have to do yeah. that. You just choose your own that. level of, I, I like to use the term challenge instead of difficulty. Cause to me, if something is difficult, that means it sucks. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, to me, difficult and frustrating are just two sides of the same coin. Yeah. But challenging is like, yes, this you matches. You engage with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, this is a, an experience that will be hard, but in all the right ways. I think it also you know, acknowledges cause, cause difficult feels like an absolute statement, right? And challenge feels more like it's about how you're confronted. It's about who is, yeah. yeah. Because I think it's like like any discussion I've ever seen with players talking about difficulty makes me just bang my head against the wall because they talk about it in these absolute terms that just, that's just not how difficulty works, right? It's, it's always the context of how the person, yeah, how the person meets the thing creates a unique kind of challenge and Mm -hmm. it's not universal. So try to treat the thing as if it has like, 
There's no uh, capital T truth on these. Yeah, there's no capital T truth on any. It's all wiggly. Which isn't to dismiss anyone's specific experience, because of course, like if you like this game was really difficult, like that's true. It was for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if everybody says that, then now it's just true. Period. Right. Like it's just it's just difficult for literally every person who's played Mm -hmm. it. But there's always going to be a subset of people who like there's there's people in in the Baldur's Gate community who are like, hey, can we get like another difficulty tier because the hardest difficulty is fucking easy. It's not right? enough for me. But you know yeah. why it's you know why it's easy is because people do all like the wildest bullshit to cheese every single boss fight, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, even if we ramped up the difficulty more, those tactics would still just work unless we kind of deleted some game mechanics. And now it's less fun. Difficulty, right? Yeah. And then it's not as fun because now, you know, the game just, well, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Make your own fun. Have a good all time. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anyways, that's all the time we have for, uh, for today's episode. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.